0: Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. I had the the Dickens of a job this week, trying to sort out what I was going to share this morning. Um, Is Dickens an appropriate... I don't even know what the word dickens means. I'm not sure if that's an appropriate word to use in church or not. It might mean something that I don't know what it means. I remember I was speaking in Ashburton once, and uh, I used the word bollocks. Because to me, I thought that meant rubbish. You know, like, just rubbish. Oh, that's bollocks. Well, that's, that was the context that I used it in. And then somebody complained about it afterwards. I got pulled aside by the senior pastor and said, look, you're not allowed to use the word bollocks. I said, well, what is, what's wrong with it? He said, it means bull's testicles. I said, oh. I didn't know that, but now I've said bollocks and Dickens here, so we're we're off to a really good start, which is good. So the reason I I was struggling this week to try and come up with something was because I was determined to not bring a message that sounded like every other message I've brought so far this year, because I'm very aware that every time I get up to speak, I kind of say the same thing just packaged up in different paper, which is like, your life is meant to be awesome. Get excited. You know, God has plans for you get excited. He's got destiny and future and vision, and you're meant to be living an extraordinary life, and come on, it's going to be great. And And I thought, I don't want to do that this week because I don't want people to think that I just have like one thing to say. I don't want you guys to think like I'm a one-trick pony. So I, I wrote like five different messages this week. And every time, it didn't matter which verse I started from or which point I came up with first, every time I started, I ended back at the same place, which was going, you know what, I just feel like for us in this place we just need this message and it's like it's all i can say it's very frustrating for me because i have said lots of different things in the past but at the moment all i can say is you are meant to have an extraordinary life and that is that is just something that i am carrying at the moment you are meant to have an extraordinary life and i feel like my purpose this morning is just to Ram that home a little bit more because I want you guys to walk out of here with, even if it's just a little bit more, I'll take it, but a little bit more of an expectation that your life is meant to be extraordinary because expectation determines experience. You cannot consistently, on a day-to-day basis, live a life at a certain level if it is inconsistent with your expectation for your life. There are small, minor exceptions to the rule. You might have a low expectation for a party that you go to and then come back and go, oh, that party was actually not so bad. But consistently, on a broad spectrum, day in and day out, you cannot live incongruent with your expectation for your life. It's just how it works. So if you want to have an extraordinary life, you have to have an extraordinary expectation for your life. So I want to talk to you this morning about expectation. I believe that it is, it's not just a choice that we make to have an extraordinary life. It is our obligation as Christians to lead extraordinary lives. Because Jesus said, this is Jesus, right? The creator of the, he was there when God created the universe. Like the Bible says Jesus was there. And then he came and he sacrificed his life. He's the savior of all mankind. And yet Jesus said about us, about you and about me, he said, you are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said about us. You guys, you are the light of the world. If we don't live extraordinary lives, how is anybody going to know that Jesus is awesome? How is anyone going to know that we serve a good, good Father if our lives aren't extraordinary? He said, you are the light of the world. Therefore, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God's plan for evangelism is for us to live such extraordinary lives That they shine in front of everybody. Like publicly we live extraordinary lives and they come to us and they say, What are you doing? What is it about you? And we say, You know what, it's not us, it's Jesus and that through the attraction that we have generated by living an extraordinary life, they meet Jesus. You know, they say they say, If if your life is so extraordinary and you say it's because of Jesus, then I want Jesus. Right? That is our that's our purpose. It is an it is your obligation to be living an extraordinary life. Right, Jesus said, "I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly." More abundantly means superior in quality and superior in quantity. Jesus said, "I came that your life would be bigger and better with me." Right, so that's that's how we've got to live. Experience is determined by expectation. Let me give you an example. Uh, I heard about this last year. I was up at Unleashed, and one of the one of the um, speakers who is very, very intelligent and has done a lot of research on the brain and all this kind of stuff. She talked about a study that had been done, and I went away and I did some research this week. And the, the guys behind the study wanted to determine whether or not you could influence someone's experience through an expectation that was generated. So they got 50 people into a room, and they said, hey, guys, we're going to show you a video of a car accident. There's going to be a car sitting in the middle of the road, and another car is going to come around the corner, and it's going to, it's going to hit it. So they said, what we want you to do before we show the video, the purpose of this experiment is for you to judge how fast that car is going when it smashes into the other car. It's going to come around the corner, it's going to smash into the car, you guys tell us how fast you think it's going, right? So they did that, and everybody had to guess at how fast they thought the car was going. And everybody averaged out the general opinion was that the car was going faster than it actually was. Then they got another group of 50 people, they brought them into the room, they played them the same video. They said, what we want you to do is we want you to tell us how fast you think the car is going when it comes around and it bumps into the other car. It's going to come around the corner, it's going to drive up, it's going to bump into the other car. How fast do you think it's going? Do you know those 50 people saw the exact same thing? The last group all said they thought the car was going faster than it was. This group all said they thought the car was going slower than it was. Because their expectation was they were going to see a car bump another car. The first group's expectation was they were going to see a car smash another car. And so even though they both witnessed the same things, they both saw it totally differently. And that's the power of expectation. Expectation determines your experience. I want to talk to you just about a couple of things to do with expectation. The big thing is, you guys, I want you to expect to make a difference. Expect to make a difference. Just get up in the morning and go, you know, I I have the power of the living God in me. Like, who believes that God is extraordinary, right? Brilliant. God is extraordinary. The Bible says that you were created in His image. What does that make you? Extraordinary, right? The Bible says that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. What is that power? Extraordinary. So you have an extraordinary God who's created an extraordinary you and then infused you with an extraordinary power He has an extraordinary destiny for you. How can any of that add up to not be extraordinary? Like, come on. Like, it's just everything about you is extraordinary. God's extraordinary. You're extraordinary. Your destiny is extraordinary. Just expect extraordinary. Get up every morning and go, today's going to be extraordinary. Expect to make a difference. More and more, I'm learning about how important it is to just do little things. I was talking to my auntie the other day. She was telling me about a friend of hers who has cancer. It's the third time she's been diagnosed with cancer better the first time, better the second time, it's come back again. I said, what's your number? I rang her. I said, you don't know who I am, but I heard about your story. I just want to tell you, I think you're extraordinary. People like you inspire me. I just want to tell you, don't give up. Like, keep fighting. You can beat this thing. Have a good night. And she said, she was like, wow, that's so, so great. Wow, thank you. That makes such a difference. Like, we're called to make a difference. I didn't have to get up and... Like, I'm being frank, but I didn't have to ring her and be like all Christian and be like, you know, can I pray for you over the phone? That might come later because now we've connected. You know, we're friends on Facebook. We've, we've built a bit of a relationship. We talk for another 10, 15 minutes. And at any point, I could contact her again and say, you know what? I'd really like to pray for you. And she's going to be so much more receptive to it now than she would have been from a perfect stranger. You know, so often we feel like we've got, to, we've got this Christian pressure to, like, do things and pray for people. It's like, just be normal. Just be friends. Tell people you care about them and, and let your light shine before men, right? So, the first thing I want you to understand is you need to expect to make a difference. Expect to make a difference. If you feel like your life isn't extraordinary, and I understand there might be people sitting here that go, Well, enough, my life is extraordinary. Well, I want to ask you, what's your expectation? Do you expect to be extraordinary? Do you expect to have extraordinary things happen to you? I am absolutely determined that my life and the life of my family will be extraordinary. We will have extraordinary adventures. We will tell extraordinary stories. If I have to make them up for a while, then I will. No, I won't. It'll be extraordinary. You know, I will have an extraordinary marriage. We'll have an extraordinary family. That's just my expectation. And eventually, my life will come into alignment with that expectation because that's the way it works. Second thing I want to tell you, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I want to be Realistic. I want to be honest. I don't want you guys to think, well, Josh just thinks everything's perfect all the time. But the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 2, in fact, I'll read it so I get it right Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, another thing you've got to expect is what I call growth opportunities right? I'm not going to tell you to expect bad things, because I don't like that. Don't expect stuff to go wrong. Expect growth opportunities. Because, you know, part of expectation is you've got to be realistic. And if you try and cruise through life and think that nothing bad's going to happen, nothing's going to go wrong, and you'll never have to deal with anything, when it happens, and it will, because even Jesus said, in this life there will be trouble, In fact, Jesus, when he was in a really good mood, said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's so much wrong with tomorrow. You just focus on what's wrong today, you know. But stuff will happen. And if we were to share some stories in this room, just in this room, with this hundred or so people, there would be stories that would be devastating, you know, all sorts of things. But I don't want to focus on that. But I want to tell you that there will be opportunities for you to grow. And when these opportunities come, it's really important that you use wisdom to isolate the source, Where has this growth opportunity come from? Because where it comes from will determine how you respond. If it's something that God has brought into your life because he wants to mold you and shape you, the Bible says that he disciplines those he loves, then how you respond to that will be different to how you respond to something that the enemy has brought into your life. And we need to be careful that we don't allow things in that the enemy has brought in, like sickness. I don't believe for a second that God would use sickness to teach me a lesson. Because I would never do that to my children. And God is a better father than I am. You know, but sometimes things happen and God goes, you know what? You can, you can learn a little bit from this. I want to just give you a bit of time to work through this because God cares about who we are. It's who we become that matters to God. And then the third source of sometimes growth opportunities is ourselves. You know, I saw something on Facebook the other day. It said everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're dumb and you make dumb decisions. And that's true. Sometimes we are going through stuff and we've just got ourselves into that mess. We've got to get ourselves out. But you need to be wise about where the source of that growth opportunity is coming from. Is that cool? And then the third thing that I think we need to expect, and this is my favorite. And this is why I finish on this. I think that we need to expect to be rewarded. Right? We need to expect to be rewarded. The writer of Hebrews says in 11 verse 6 that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of rewards. Jesus said, anyone who leaves his family and follows me will receive a hundredfold in this life. You know, and sometimes as Christians, we get this funny mindset around, you know, rewards and having things, and we equate poverty with spirituality and prosperity with dishonesty, and it's, it's weird But I want to tell you, like, I feel like God was saying to me this week that you guys have permission to say to God, what's around the corner for me? Like, what's what have you got in your treasure chest? You know, and there's a beautiful example uh, in David and Goliath. I call this W dig. What do I get? I don't think, this is just me, I don't think there is anything wrong with having an honest conversation with God, who is our Father, and saying, hey, what's what have you got for me? What do I get? I do this. Like, what? What's the deal here? And I love the story of David and Goliath. So we all know the story of David and Goliath. Samuel chapter 1, verse 17. No, Samuel 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Goliath comes out. We know the story. He stands at the edge of the valley, and the Israelites are on the other side, and he's here, and he's massive. He's got a big stick, and everything's very heavy. And he says, who will find me? You know, I kind of imagine that Goliath is big. He's got a big voice, some thyroid issues probably. Have you ever stopped and thought, though, that what if he didn't? What if he just had this really squeaky voice? He's like nine foot tall. He comes out and he's like, who will fight me? That sort of stuff amuses me. But he comes out, he says, who will fight me? And for 40 days, like nothing happens. And then David gets sent down to the battlefield by his dad. And he rocks up with some bread and cheese. I want you to understand this. David is a man after God's own heart. God has such a high opinion of David, that he said, when I have my son Jesus, I will call him the son of David. That is how much I value David. He's already been anointed king over Israel. So God has already said, you are the man for the job. He's already killed the lion. He's already killed the bear. He's working with the Holy Spirit. He's standing there. Now, how many people understand that this is a setup from God for David? He is about to step into an extraordinary life. David is about to step from a shepherd boy into the savior of a nation. In one act, he's gonna go from someone that nobody has heard of to someone that everybody has heard of. He's about to take the first step into this extraordinary existence and all of it has been orchestrated by God. Do we understand that? So you've got a man after God's own heart, anointed king of Israel, in a situation that God has orchestrated for right now. And he rocks up and he sees Goliath, he sees everybody standing there, and the first words out of his mouth are, what will the man get who kills this guy? <laughs> Who's this guy? It's the first words out of his mouth. Like, what do I get if I kill him? Who's this guy? Right, Sam? Who's this guy? And the soldiers turn to him, and they say, oh, if you kill him, you get wealth. You get to marry the king's daughter and you get no taxes for the rest of your life. And David goes, Huh! What? Wealth? King's daughter? No tax? Are you serious? And his brother hears him. And his brother comes over, alive comes over. He says, What are you doing here? Go home. Look after the few sheep in the desert or the woods, whatever you do. No one likes you. He's not a very nice older brother. Not like me. And... (laughs) David turns to him, like typical family situation, goes, what is your problem? Am I not not even allowed to talk? And then the Bible says, he turns around, he brings up the same matter again and says, what do I get if I kill this guy? Like this is a man after God's own heart. You understand? This is like God's chosen instrument. It's God's plan for him to kill Goliath. The Bible doesn't say, and God was displeased with this request you know, he says, what do I get? What do I get? And Saul hears that David is walking around saying, what do I get if I kill him? If I kill this guy, what do I get? What's my reward if I kill this guy? What do I get? And so Saul calls him over and says, what's going on? And David in his head is going, wealth, king's daughter, she's a hottie, no tax, wealth, king's daughter, no tax, wealth, king's daughter, no, I'll do it. Right? That's David's motivation. And then, of course, he steps up, he kills Goliath, and the, the rest is history. It doesn't—I read it, and I read I read I couldn't find anywhere where God said, well, because you did it for, for that reason, no, it doesn't—you know. Like, I want to tell you guys, expect to be rewarded. God is a giver of good things. Let's get the band to jump back up, and we'll finish up. But God is a giver of good things. And if we have this expectation that our life is meant to be extraordinary, yes, there are going to be things happen, but, you know— God doesn't bring anything into our life or allow anything into our life that we can't handle. And everything we do, we do with God. And then expect to be rewarded. Expect good things. I expect good things. Sometimes bad things happen. And when they happen, I'm always like, what? That's not, that's not what I want. You know, is this a growth opportunity, God? Or is this something that someone's trying to bring into my life that I need to, you know, say no to? Or have I done something to do this? And you go to God and you talk to God about it. But I'll tell you right now, this is my you might think less of me because of this, I really want a pool. Like, we're building a house at the moment, and I've said to Liz, I said, one day we're going to have a pool. Stone me. Like, is that, is that so wrong? You know? And, you know, we can try and spiritualize it and say, well, we want all of, all of the kids in the neighborhood to come around and play on it, and then we'll be an influence. And that's all true. But, you know, if you yeah, have baptisms in our pool, we can try and Christify it. But really, I just have a desire for a pool. And I talked to God about it. And God was like, if you want a pool, you can have a pool. I'm like, good. Well, then I want a pool. <laughs> you know, is that so, does that make me a bad person? No. Like, guys, I want you to get excited about what your life could look like. You know, you've got. The, an extraordinary God who wants to give you an extraordinary life, and it doesn't mean that you have everything you want, and you just, you know, you're on the pig's back. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be this hard grind for the rest of your life. Do you know? Like Christianity should be fun. Your friends should look at you and say, "You're having a blast. Your life is awesome. Your marriage is great. Your kids love you. You know, you enjoy life." I enjoy hanging around with you because you are fun to hang around. You have a good sense of humor. You enjoy laughing. You make me feel special. I feel loved when I'm around you. What, what, how are you this person? Glenn, how are you this person? And then you say, you know what? It's, it's because I have Jesus in my life. That's, you don't need to, be, even, we need to be weird about it. They've asked you. When was the last time someone said to you, how are you the way you are? That's what we should be bringing into our life. People coming to us saying, I want to be like you. I don't know what it is about you, but I want to be like you. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Is that cool? Well, let's stand up. We're going to sing the chorus to Good, Good Father. We're going to belt this thing out because He is a Good, Good Father.